0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Thank
1: you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you guys can take the offering, and I'm going to invite Pastor Cameron up to share an announcement. Thank you, Kathy. All right. Yes, applause. Yay, it's me. Thank you. Uh, it, it helps when you come up, and it sounds like you guys actually like me to come up. So, <laughs> Two quick things before I release Anthony to share the word. Uh, one is we, the leadership at New Day has uh, done a lot of prayer, a lot of um, uh, brainstorming to figure out ways to improve, especially uh, this campus, Nichols. And the change in the the way we're doing Serve Sign Up is a big part of that. We really challenged the leaders of each one of the Serve uh, groups to figure out the least number of volunteers they would need. And we felt like it just there was a sense where there was a sense of burden on, on just coming to church. And uh, we don't want people to feel like coming to church is work. Um, but there is a lot of work that needs to happen in order for church. To work, <laughs> you know, and uh, and and we need everyone needs to serve in some capacity. We haven't changed that. We're changing how we're signing up. But we're trying to making it uh, more relational, and uh, so that's why we have the pictures of the people that are leading. And so I do encourage you to uh, find a place where you can serve. And we're trying to do this this year, not so heavy-handed in that sense, but open-handed and say, would you join with us to make New Day as good as it can? And we're going to work with, it with the teams that we get. But we just have a, uh, another week or two for you to, to sign up. And you have to actually initiate it, find the people and, and talk. The main thing I'm here to talk about or to, um, to announce is... Uh, as you know, we did cancel the revival weekend that was scheduled in August because they are not uh, scheduled changed. They were going to be they thought they would be available, but their dates uh, of availability had changed, so they were unable to come. We are, although, going to have uh, the Joneses come, Scott and Stephanie Jones, who pastor New Day, South Carolina. Uh, And it's been a while since they've both been here. And they will minister at Vine on Saturday night. And then they will minister both here and in Vandalia Sunday morning, August 12th. And then we will be having a special service on Sunday evening, August 12th at 6 p.m. And this is another one of the big changes that we're making. Uh, We are going to be ordaining the Mensers and the McKees both... Yay! (coughs) Yay! both couples have been ministering you know ordination is a recognition that they're actually people are operating in a particular gift and the mentors have actually been operating in a pastoral gift for some time and that they're over our healing and restoration which is really the pastoral arm of the church and and ministering to people on a counseling level and and active in many 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 ways behind the scenes uh Lee is on staff part-time and so uh, a lot of this stuff gets done because of her organizational skills, of which she has plenty, and we rely on that. Uh, and the McGee's have come in and done a fantastic job in many ways leading the Wellspring School, as well as a lot of other aspects of the church. Uh, Jimmy is helping the, uh, lead the whole 320 initiative. And we just believe it's time to ordain them, and there's, there's a, that's a recognition of, of what they are, but there's also an impartation of authority, and we want them to be placed into this role as pastors in New Day, joining the pastoral staff. Now, another part of this change is that uh, the uh, McKees will be here every Sunday uh, as first service pastors and the mensers every Sunday uh, for second service because we realized that with the rotation and i love that we have a rotation of speakers how many like that you like that i love it i think it's one of the strengths that was a really weak applause how many like having a rotation of speakers right so it's something I haven't wanted to give up because I see the strength of it, and I get regular uh, people coming up to me saying, I really appreciate you know, the different uh, perspectives we give. But we also have a, a rotation of MCs, and I realized that someone could come every week for four, six, or more weeks and never see the same person speaking, either as an MC or, or the speaker. And I thought, that's not good. You know, someone like, who's who are all these just random people getting up? You know, if you're new, you don't know who the people are. And so we want to have consistency. And we found this option as a way to provide the, a consistent face for the congregation. So the keys will be MC doing everything that the MC did, but in addition, being like the pastor on site for that service, making sure things are... A happening and being the, the main uh, person uh, in charge and responsible if something needs to be addressed and then the mensers for a second service and having that consistency week in and week out it will enable us to continue to have a rotation of speakers as I rotate between the different churches and my role in partners requires me to travel and, and minister at other churches frequently and we thought this is a good balance to increase stability yet still Uh, keep the flexibility and maintain the collaborative nature of the ministry here at New Day. So I encourage you to get that uh, Sunday evening, 6 p.m. on the calendar, to be praying for this, and we really hope that this will help uh, New Day become a better church for all of us. All right? It is now my pleasure to introduce one of my favorite speakers. Isn't he great? (laughs) Anthony, the Anthony Davis, pastor site pastor of vine
0: i was hoping after you said that it was still me i was (laughs) like i I thought i was preaching today (laughs) yeah that's right myself let me get this out of here Ah. good morning welcome to new day community church i am pastor anthony as cameron said we are going to continue a series today called being church and we are going to talk about one of the most fun topics ever to be discussed in church. Are you guys ready for this? Yes. Accountability. Yeah. Come on, who is psyched about this? Church and accountability. Where else do you hear about accountability as much as in church? This has got to be the place where we talk about it the most. Sometimes in business, we talk about accountability and how important it is to be accountable, but man, church. In church, we've got to have accountability groups and accountability relationships and like accountability structures and accountability meetings and it's like everything's accountability. And yet, I think that most people, because they don't understand what it is, they don't understand what its purpose is, and they don't understand how to do it or how to receive it, they think of it like this. <laughs> this is a pretty good picture of accountability a cop pulling somebody over on the side of the road. Now, I hope that this is not the image you have in your mind when you think of accountability after this message. My goal today is to make accountability seem accessible, good, and hopefully more common. Yes. Let's be accountable. Let's hold each other accountable. And let's actually be excited about it. But if you're not excited about it, even at the end of this message, one, I don't blame you. It probably just makes you a human being. And I'll give you two cheats so that maybe you can get around it for a while. But there really is no substitute for community accountability. Now, to dig in, let's talk about what it is, then let's talk about why we do it, and then we'll talk about how. But first, let's do the thing that most pastors do. Let's look at a dictionary definition of accountability. I went there, and it's a straight-up screenshot from Merriam-Webster. Here we go. Definition of accountability. Pastor Anthony, what are you talking about? Well, it's the quality or state of being accountable, obviously. How about that? especially an obligation or willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's actions. Accountability as a willingness to accept responsibility and to give an account for your own actions. A willingness. So if I have accountability, that means in large part that I am simply willing to own what I do and give an account for it. So what does it mean to be accountable? This is the next thing we have to look at. If accountability is willing to be accountable, accountability is really just being answerable. Held to account is being made to answer for what you're doing. This is already way different, or at least it should be, from what we think we mean when we say accountability. Because you would swear when people talk about accountability that what they're actually talking about is culpability, which is totally different. To be culpable is to be guilty. It's to be a criminal, meriting condemnation or blame, especially as wrong or harmful as in culpable negligence. The defendant is culpable. That sounds like no fun. Who wants to join a community that is constantly assessing their culpability? Does that sound like a good time? Like, come to church. We love you. You're a criminal, and you're guilty, and we're all going to find out and get ready to be confronted. Because that's how we do accountability here. We kick in the door, we fire a warning shot in the air, we point the finger, and then, man, get ready to get it. Let's get some accountability groups. Amen. Let's pass that basket again. You guys are dismissed. No, (laughs) that's not what we're talking about. I need to separate. Please hear me. Accountability. I have that. It is a willingness to take responsibility for your actions and a willingness to explain yourself. And when you hold someone accountable, you are bringing something up. You are asking them, hey, I saw you did this. I see you're handling this this way. I saw this play out. Can you, can you just explain that to me? Do you see how that's different from the cop? Man, but I do want to say this. This picture has two wonderful pictures of what accountability in action looks like. It really does and there's two of them. But we have to get rid of some clutter to see it. Let's get rid of the cop because that's not him. That's, that's not what accountability looks like. Here's just a picture of a road and in this picture are two wonderful examples of what accountability in action looks like. Any guesses? Stay in your lane. You got my whole message. Accountability is going to help you stay in the lane. Guys, it's the rumble strip, and it's the guardrail. It's the function of the rumble strip to let you know. Rumble, 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 excuse me. I'd just like to bring up that you are, you are straying off the road. Oh, my goodness. You know, I'll be responsible for that, and I will course correct. The rumble strip brings up your error, and you correct it. Who gets angry at the rumble strip for reminding you you're nodding off or going off the road? Anybody? Aren't we grateful for rumble strips? And should the rumble strip not stop you, who's grateful for guardrails? I mean, if you hit a guardrail, you probably don't even mind the insurance claim that is going to have to happen to take care of the damage on your car. But should the rumble strip not do it for you, hopefully, hopefully, there is a guardrail that will. This is accountability, guys. This is the safety of the community. We are helping each other stay on course and avoid tragedy that's what accountability is. It's just answering. It's bringing it up. So this can be done poorly. I was in high school, and uh, I had a, a large group of Christian friends in high school, and I remember I was, I was kind of a punk. My life was falling apart. Is this happened to everybody in high school? It's like your whole life falls apart, and then you're like, oh, everything's changing. Who am I? Blah, 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 blah. So yeah, pretty much everybody, right? Well, Some people have more grace for that than others, and I was getting kind of sarcastic and depressed, and one of my other Christian friends didn't like some things I was doing. They had noticed that my language had headed south a little bit, and they were bothered by the fact that I smoked cigarettes. And was a Christian, come on, man. I started stealing my dad's cigarettes when I was 13. I'm like, this is just now an issue, but they didn't like that. Sorry, it really was an issue. I I shouldn't have been doing that. But uh, in order to hold me accountable... They passed me in the hallway, and they had written this long note about how everything I was doing was wrong. And she threw it in my face. And I, like, had to pick it up off the ground, and then it was, like, a full page of insults. And I'm like, whoa, that makes me want to acquiesce to your loving correction and, and, like, come back into the safety of the fold. I'm like, I want to kick you in the shins, and you're a girl. This isn't good. So if we have a bad taste in our mouths about accountability, it's probably because somebody thought it was culpability. Trying to hold somebody culpable and not accountable they don't understand what its function is and they did it poorly so let's talk about why we need accountability if it's not obvious already from the road analogy let's just address it why have it why do we need it in a community why to be church being church do we need accountability and it's important to think about what would happen if there were no rumble strips now, let's, let's think about this theologically. You know, we're kind, we're kind of stretching the analogy a little bit. I really stretch it to its breaking point and beyond. Forgive me, but I like it, so we're going to do it. We're going to look at Psalm 10, and then we're going to look at a New Testament passage that describes God removing a rumble strip and what will happen. You guys ready for this? Here we go. Let me take a deep breath. And again, if you're new to hearing me speak, that's so I don't pass out reading these long verses in one, one breath. Here we go. Psalm 10. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked, and here's the focus, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. In all his scheming, The wicked person arrogantly thinks there's no, what's that word? Accountability, since there's no God. His ways are always secure. Your lofty judgments have no effect on him. He scoffs at all of his adversaries, and he says to himself, I will never be moved from generation to generation without calamity. Pause. We read these psalms of complaint, right? And we read them from the perspective of the complainer. We read them from the perspective of, yeah, I understand because I've had times in my life where I felt like wicked people were prospering and God wasn't being just and he just wasn't doing anything and why is he letting them get away with it? But let's turn it around and let's imagine that you're the wicked person. You think everything's cool. There's no rumble strip. There's no lightning bolt coming from heaven to stop you. You keep taking advantage of people more and more. You do worse and worse stuff. You're going downhill faster and faster. And eventually you think, there's there's no cosmic justice coming my way. Everything must be cool. In fact, the rest of these pathetic losers, if they were strong-willed, they'd act like me. I'm going to be secure from generation to generation. These people think there's a God. There's no accountability. Who do I have to answer to? If I would have had to answer for this stuff, I would have had to do it by now. God has removed the warnings. He is standing far off and hiding, but it's not from the afflicted, it's from this guy. I'm going to back this up in the New Testament in just a minute. But there is a horrifying outcome if you want to drive 120 miles an hour down the road of life, thinking there's no rumble strips and no guardrail. God forbid they're actually gone. Verse 13. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account But you yourself, the psalmist is talking about God, have seen the trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your own hands. God's letting him do his thing, knowing that eventually the hammer is going to come down. This guy is not getting away with anything, but he thinks he is because there is no rumble strip and he's not hitting a guardrail. The helpless one entrusts himself to you, you are a helper of the fatherless. He sure is. And it's not going to be pretty for the person that takes advantage of them. Verse 15, break the arm. And that, that means like the strength, the power, the, the everything, the will. Break it all. Break the arm of the wicked, evil person until you look for his wickedness, but it can't be found. Verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. And that has the idea of the wicked nations the people that don't obey the law. All these wicked, nasty people. Their time is coming. And they're racing there at 120 miles an hour because there's no rumble strip and no guardrail and they think they're fine. Is that scary? Would it be scary to be the wicked person? He should be horrified. This same idea plays out in Romans chapter 1. Paul writes this about people that have gone astray. Really, it's all of us. It's everybody. In 121, he says, For though they knew God, They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. So they should have known, right? Instead, their thinking became worthless. Their senseless hearts were darkened and claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is intentional. So what does God do? Paul's about to tell us what God's revealed wrath looks like to these people. It is not a lightning bolt. It is not a plague. It's not an earthquake. It's not war. It is a removal of accountability. There's no rumble strip. There's no guardrail. You want to go 120 down that road? Be my guess. Verse 24. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts. Verse 26. For this reason, God delivered them over. Verse 28. Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. You want to go 120 miles an hour down that road despite me telling you not to? Go for it. But i am taking the guard rail away. How's that going to go? Very poorly. Why do we have accountability? To save our lives. Guys, accountability keeps us safe. Community accountability. And remember, we are not talking about culpability. We don't want to walk around like the police, throwing notes in people's faces, kicking their shins, giving them a hard time. Just bring it up. Be a rumble strip. Rumble, rumble, rumble. Hey, driving, driving a little fast, going, going out of your lane, there's a cliff. Oh my gosh. Aren't you thankful? You ever been thankful for a rumble strip? Man, I have. We have it to keep us safe, to keep us on track. And we need more eyes than just our two eyes. Amen. So that's what it is. That's why we have it. Man, we should be grateful for it. And let me just say this at this point as well. This analogy should tell us something about how we receive being held accountable. Because if somebody comes up to you and says, "I want to let me just give an example. Uh, about two months ago, I used a Pokemon in one of my sermons. I I thought it was hilarious. I like to use comical slides. Believe it or not, there's a couple coming up in this message. Be excited. The next week, I got this long article in an envelope from this person that said, you know, I was really bothered by that. You know, I actually believe Pokemon are demonic. And uh, there's a large group in the Christian community that also believes that this and and other anime things are demonic because they come out of that culture. And I just needed you to be aware of that. And so I was like, wow. Wow. Okay, but this person was very respectful to me. They didn't throw it in my face. They explained themselves. They explained what I did that really rubbed them the wrong way, and they handed me the thing. Now, I respected them by actually reading it, and I thought about it, and I didn't agree with most of it at the end, but it was important to take them seriously. It was important to make sure they knew that they were heard, and it was important for me to explain to them why I was not going off the road. All of those things needed to happen, but I needed to receive the accountability from them in this spirit. They just didn't want me going 120 miles an hour off the side of the cliff. They weren't trying to be punks. They weren't trying to be legalistic. Does that make sense? We need to have that heart when someone else holds us to account. Don't lose your accountability, which is a willingness to answer for your own actions. Does that make sense? All right. So how in the world do we do it? We've been using an analogy of a car driving down the road. So we're going to imagine that we need to hold accountable a guy in a car. I found a picture online, just by happenstance, of Guy in a car. Yeah, I did that. Guy Fieri in a car. I saw that, I was like, thank you, Google. That is so perfect. So. You know, it could be any number of things that are rubbing us the wrong way about Guy Fieri that we need to hold him to account for. It could be that hair that's never changed in 15 years. It could be the clothes, pick whatever you want. So we need to hold Guy in a car accountable, all right? We're like, rumble, rumble, man, you are way, way out of the lines. We need to bring you back. So the first thing we need to do is have the right attitude, okay? If you're gonna be a rumble strip for somebody, remember what you're trying to do. You're trying to save their life, trying to keep them from going off the cliff, And we get a snapshot of what your attitude should be by what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is in the context of rebuke and exhortation. 1 Timothy 5, Paul says, Tim, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. And then I believe the rest of this list is also in that context. This is how you deal with the people you're leading in a corrective way. Rebuke an older man as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So it doesn't matter who you're talking to, who you need to go and rumble for, right? You need to be respectful and not a jerk. That alone is going to help people receive what you have to say. I've never been cussed at by a rumble strip. A rumble strip has never thrown anything in my face. It's just a nice reminder. It brings up my error, and I fix it, and I'm grateful. He's saying, Timothy, have that attitude. And if it helps you to remember this better, recognize and resist rude rumbling. So good, just that pause. If I had a water there, that would be a great spot to like give the knowing glance and like sip the water, but I, I don't ever do that. My son asked me, by the way, he's like, "Did they teach you guys to do that in seminary? He's like, every pastor does that. You, like, make a point and then sip your water. Is, this, is that in the class? I'm like, no. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So don't be a jerk. Be respectful. You're trying to help them, man. And then we have a very simple, very, very simple formula for actually doing this. And I've mentioned this before. It's in Matthew 18.5. Jesus is talking about how to go to people and hold them accountable. He says this. If your brother or sister sins, and I would just like to add, or offends you in any way, rubs you the wrong way, you think you need to go and let them know they need to course correct, you've got to go be a rumble strip. Hopefully not a guardrail. Hopefully it hasn't gotten to that point, but it does sometimes. Go point out their fault. What is that line there? Just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. Point one of two I want to make on this verse. Go to them personally. Do not write them a note if you can help it. Do not email them if you can help it. Do not Facebook message them if you can help it. Do not call them on the phone. Go to them personally, just the two of you. Most times, if there's an issue between you and somebody else, 100% of the people involved know what happened. (laughs) No counsel needs to be sought, usually, sometimes it does, from the outside, you don't need to crowdsource opinions under the guise of, you know, of getting you know different just don't do that. Just go talk to them yeah. personally, for crying out loud, and don't make it a bigger deal than it has to be. A rumble strip is not a big deal. You just course-correct, and you're grateful. That's what you're trying to do. But here's the other point I want to make. If they listen to you, you have won them over, yeah. not if they listen to you, you won. Is that a big distinction? Because the goal of holding somebody accountable is not to win. You're not trying to convince them that they're wrong and you're right. You're not getting some sick pleasure out of it. To win them over means that like, you're, you both leave the encounter in, on good terms, maybe better than before. Yep. I remember one time I, I live upstairs above Vine, <laughs> oh, man, with all the guys up there. Pray for me. We closed on our house Monday, by the way. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's a miraculous story. Ask me about it later. But for right now, we live with a bunch of dudes and have for years. I remember one time I came out of the bathroom, which I share with Justin. He was, like, outside the door, and he said, did you use my towel? I was like, dude, I grabbed it by accident. I swear, I, I forgot which side of mine was on. Yeah, don't do that. Okay. And then he walked away, and it was like, rumble, done, <laughs> corrected, swear to God. I've, like, tried to grab his towel, like, by accident. You can get out of the shower, you grab it. I was like, oh! I, like, recoiled. Like, I don't, I don't want that to happen again. That is a direct dude. I don't know if you've ever talked to Justin, but don't do that. Okay. Done. Anyway. But we're good. We're better after that. I had such a, a much better understanding of how he views blue towel. You know? Like, he won me over, but it was good. We call that blue towel talk now at Vine. So... <laughs> But if you're going to do this with somebody, you better remember to have the right attitude. Because your personal rumble strips, and see I'm stretching the analogy, I said I would, might be in a slightly different spot than the person you're talking to. Now, what kind of stuff am I talking about? Oh, I don't know. Gosh, Pastor Cameron, can you think of anything that Christians argue about? Maybe everything, tobacco, alcohol, music, movies, clothes, uh, fashion, politics, finances okay we could draw lines between every single person in this room if we tried to good grief let's not please let's have grace so in holding someone accountable you may find out that oh they actually don't think they're wrong and you know what i need to be gracious enough to acknowledge that maybe i couldn't even do what they're doing but that's not sin you you won me over here i came to hold you accountable and you won me over man okay well that's good too and we need to have this attitude because the possibility does exist that the one doing the rumbling is, in fact, wrong. And there's an example of this in the Bible, which I'm going to read. We're only about halfway done. You guys doing good? Is this cool? All right, here we go. Case study number one from the Word. Both involve, ironically, Peter and Paul, and both revolve around the same subject matter. Here we go. Well, let me give some backstory on this. Paul did some stuff, like go out into the Gentile world with his buddy Barnabas and turn it upside down, kick out demons, get cities saved, get stoned, and then get back up, probably raised from the dead, and wander back into the city to encourage the people that saw him stoned, like, don't freak out, love Jesus, I'll be back. He's kind of the man, right? So he comes back to his home church in Antioch, and he's telling these people all the stuff he's done, and they are psyched, man. They're happy. And then some people show up that have a different opinion. This is in Acts 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, mind you, these are adults, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute. Somebody say sharp dispute. They're not having a good time. Into a sharp dispute with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem, to see the apostles and elders about this question. All right, we have Matthew 18, 15, step one. Paul and Barnabas go up to these people like, hey, hey you're saying this. We just came from this amazing missionary journey. We don't, we don't actually believe that's the way to go. And it did not get resolved. It went to step two, which is actually bring others with you. This is already a group. And then it went to step three, which is go before the church. So now they have to go and have this big accountability meeting. Everybody's going to answer for what they think and how they think this thing needs to go before the decision-makers in Jerusalem. And things get worse for Paul because when he gets to Jerusalem, some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, of course, sorry, poor Pharisees, stood up and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Moses. So we got Peter and Barnabas, or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas, who are being held accountable for all the good things they've done that they know. They're absolutely convinced that what they're doing is right. And all these other people are absolutely convinced, absolutely, that what they're doing is wrong, at least incomplete. So they go before the decision makers, and this big posse of people that disagree with Paul and Barnabas get overturned. This is what Peter says. The only way to avoid having massive egg on your face is if you've been plenty respectful and gracious the whole way through. So whenever we feel we need to rumble for someone else, just bear in mind, this could get turned around and have that attitude. Does that make sense? Amen? Amen. All right. Peter's going to show up later, by the way, but I just wanted to look at Guy in a car one more time. Guy... Guess you were right. You have every right to have that hair and that watch and, and dress that way. You do you, man. We're not gonna judge you for that. You're right. But what if it's not just one guy in a car? What if to stretch the the analogy even more, we got a group of people in the car. What if we got a driver that's doing crazy stuff, but there are other people involved? I hesitate to bring this up. But last night after my message, Nicole told me she's like, You gotta bring up leadership, man. She's like, you have to, because we have too many scandals. We have too many things going crazy. We got prominent pastors retiring under this, like, fog of controversy. We got all this stuff you need to give. You need to talk more about how do we handle leaders who are going astray. So, first, I want to say this. Good leaders in a good church, like we have here, have a community of other leaders. So, it should never get to a critical situation like the one we're going to look at in the Bible. But, in case it does... There are things said about this, and I want to talk about it, because it it doesn't just have to do with, like, the pastor up front in the church. It could be the leader of a small group. It could be anybody that's involving other people in a mess. Has anybody read The Culture of Honor by Danny Silk? There are some phenomenal examples in that book of leaders being held accountable without being held culpable. Danny Silk actually preaches something that I'm still trying to get my mind around. Pray for me, I guess. He's like, we're just unpunishable. We're unpunishable. Jesus took the punishment. But he gives lots of examples of leaders who do really bad stuff who are held accountable. And accountability looks like this. Why in the world did you do that, man? Now let's help you get to the bottom so you realize why you did it. Can you explain it to me? Okay, now, what's the mess you created? Let's clean that up. But I suggest that book, read it, because it's actually a really good demonstration of what accountability should look like separated from being the police. So I just throw that out there. But this chick driving the car, okay, let's say we got to hold her accountable, man, because you're going off the road, and you got a kid in there and and a guy who probably should be driving, but he's letting you do it. Come on, man, step up. Anyway, so 1 Timothy 5.17. Word. 1 Timothy 5.17. This is the same chapter that Paul tells Timothy how to deal with rebuking people and exhorting people as individuals. He says this. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Anthony, that doesn't have anything to do with accountability. It does. He's setting up his shot here. The elders who direct the affairs of the church, are they doing that privately, or are they doing that publicly? Publicly. Especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Are they preaching and teaching to themselves in the bathroom alone, or is that public? It's public, okay. And they're worthy of double honor. Are they... Just honoring themselves as they shave in the morning? Or are they receiving honor publicly, like from the church? Publicly, okay. But those elders who are sinning, and I want to stop here and say many translations capture this idea as persisting in sin. So it's very likely they've already been talked to several times personally, okay? This isn't somebody who like trips up one day and you like bring the hammer down. Hopefully we are just completely dispensing with that whole mindset about accountability today. But those elders who are sinning, persisting in sin, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. That's uncomfortable. That's especially uncomfortable for me. You may notice I'm the one up here with the microphone preaching and was introduced as pastor. I'm not comfortable with this. I don't want that to happen. So I look at that and I'm like, good grief, Paul. Why? Why? And the answer is, if you're a leader, if you have authority, if there are other people in your car and you are crazy— if you're going off the road, you're not just responsible for you. You're responsible for all of the other people that you are dragging down with you. If you're going 120 miles an hour down that mountain road in a bus with a bunch of third graders, that's way worse than just doing it in a car by yourself. Right? So that's why. This is, this is an important measure. Things at this point have gotten past the rumble strip to the guardrail. And we have an example of this. Once again featuring Paul and Peter. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. I like that picture. All right. When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He was doing stuff he knew it was wrong to do. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. A lot of christian words and terms right there. Let's sort it out. Peter, pillar of the early church, leader, a driver of the car, the same guy that God chose to use to show that Gentiles could be included into the faith with no other obligations other than receiving Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You guys remember that? The sheet coming down, then he went to Cornelius' house, and then he's like, Hey, God gave him the Holy Spirit. I guess they're in. This same dude shows up in Antioch and starts acting like none of that ever happened, and he needs to pull back from the Gentiles and be all extra-Jewish. But he's not living like a Jew anymore. He's fully embraced, apparently, like eating whatever he wants to eat and like dispensing with the law as a means for salvation, and yet he's drawing lines now between people in the community. So when you have a driver of the car... With passengers doing that, this is inevitable. Galatians 2.13. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas, the same dude that was taking heat with Paul for saying that Gentiles didn't have to obey the law, even he is pulling back. Do you guys see what could happen to the community right here? This whole thing, with no guardrail and no rumble strip, it's all over. Now, that's a comical gift, and I, I, I think that's from a movie. I hope that's not real, man, like police footage. I don't, let's not even think about that. Anyway, the whole thing could be derailed. The whole community, the basis of the community being Jesus Christ in grace alone is under threat. Everyone, even the most faithful people that got the revelation, the Gentiles didn't need to obey the law, are being led astray because the driver is going off the road. Luckily, they had a guardrail in Paul. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, again, that's Peter, in front of them all, and let me just say this too. This is probably not a huge building like this one. There's probably just some tables. So I imagine him not kicking open the door and firing a warning shot in the air and calling him out. I imagine Paul, who was accused of being mild-mannered in person, remember, but aggressive and bold in his letters, walking over to the table and just leaning over the table and saying loud enough for everybody to hear, Hey, Cephas, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Just, just want to know, man. I see what's going on. and You see how he's holding him to account, not holding him culpable? He's, even though he knows it's condemnable, even though the entire community is at risk, he's still respectful. And we don't know where the quote ends in this section, but this captures the heart of it. He's like, bro, dude, you remember the Cornelius thing? You remember the sheet thing? Brother, can you just explain this to me? And you know, we have nothing else recorded about this. We have no indication that Peter got riled up and offended. I suspect that's because Peter had hung out for three years with a guy that was much more direct (laughs) in correcting him than this. Jesus gave Peter a hard time all the time. He's probably used to this kind of thing. I think he took it well. I believe it's in Second Peter. Peter actually tells people, like, Paul's really valuable, man. Just make sure you read his stuff careful. You know, some of it's hard to understand. No evidence of a rift at all. This is accountability, even public accountability done right. Why? Because it was done correctly. It was holding somebody answerable, not culpable. It was done for the safety of the community. And it was done respectfully. So even at this level, those other things don't get jettisoned. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Let's move on to the last few points. Oh, this is a great picture of what St. Paul did. Guardrail, save the day. Bam. Community saved. St. Paul the Guardrail. I, you know, gifts and slideshows, I probably should have never discovered that you could do that, but it's too late now. All right. Last three slides. Accountability. It is not culpability. Jimmy, those are some amazing guns, by the way. Not to call you out, but I'm impressed. All right. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it happens. Accountability is being responsible for your own actions and willing to answer for them. Again, being willing to answer for your own actions. If you are doing something that you don't want to have to explain, <laughs> stop it. Amen. Ah, done. Also, healthy accountability is almost always all three of these things respectful personal and private unless it's an extreme situation where someone is persisting in sin and hurting the church and even then the respectful does not go away three it's a lifesaver it's a lifesaver and we should all want it but we probably all don't we're probably thinking look pastor anthony That sounds still very uncomfortable. I don't really want anybody getting in my grill. I'm just not that kind of person. Do you have anything for me? And these are the two cheats that I told you I'd give you at the end. So maybe you can avoid the rumble strips and the guardrail and just somehow, miraculously, good luck. I haven't been able to. Stay in your lane for your entire life. Here we go. There's this book you can read. Ah, you knew it was coming. Seriously, reading the word. Get a reading plan. Don't skip around and if you just read it, it will rumble at you. The Holy Spirit is alive and active. It will let you know if there are course corrections you need to make. But in case you're one of the rare 100% of humans who are prone to skipping the parts that would rumble at us and just reading the parts that make us feel good, there are people that go to a place once a week who are trained to read the word and let it rumble at us all as a group, so it's not one-on-one. And that's called church. So one way or another, you need the community. Because being accountable doesn't have to be scary. But being accountable does not go well with being alone. It goes excellent with being church. Thank you, guys. Here's Kathy. Oh, I don't need the clicker. That was
1: so good. That was so good. You know, um Pastor Anthony told me this morning what he was going to teach on, and um, I had just